Welcome to Behind the Schemes, a discussion of how commerce, corruption, and counterfeit cures are destroying our planet's precious wildlife. This is Risha Kota Larsen with Behind the Schemes, and in this episode, we're talking about taking action for African lions. The population of African lions has declined drastically, and now these majestic cats number no more than 25,000 across the entire continent. It seems a proactive approach is needed if this iconic species is going to survive. Dr. Peter Catt and Chris McSween of LionAid recently shared with us the results of a landmark African lion conference, which was facilitated by LionAid. So last time you were here, we talked about a lion bone trade, and now it was just a few days ago that an article came out called Lion Bones All the Rage. Let's talk about that. What do you think of that? Well, I think, uh, um, Risha, you know, the, the, the problem with this article is that it underlines the problems with um, placing wildlife in private hands, mm-hmm. where it can be traded um, without due attention paid to the conservation consequences of such trading. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, we've already established that the trade in rhino horns and the pseudo-trophy hunting of South African rhinos has led to the upsurge in poaching. Um, yes. In other words, you know, because the supply has created a huge demand. Mm-hmm. Now, if South Africa is now allowed to provide lion bones to the traditional medicine market, um, we will inevitably see lions being poached. Yes. Um, the the assumption that a legal <laughs> provision of rhino horns and now lion bones to the medicine market. Um, will reduce the price of the commodity has not been proved um, mm-hmm. to have any kind of economic weight. Right. And at, at the end of the day, um, you know, commercial poachers operate because they are able to supply a demand for a minimal uh, a cost to themselves. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's probably why you know we still have car thieves and we have pickpockets. I mean, you know, people are are always willing to. Um, go for a commodity at, at minimal cost themselves, and if there is a, you know, if there is a commercial market for, for, let's say, a legal market for rhino horn, there will mm-hmm. always be people who are trying to, to sidestep um, any kind of associated cost with buying those rhino horns, and they'll go out and poach them because that's a lot cheaper for them. So mm-hmm. the concept um, that trade in a commodity is free from any kind of social responsibility. Um, went out a long time ago, and you know that's why companies are now often brought to task for their their various tra- trading practices. Um, you know we can we can talk about, for example, the uh, um, um, the, the tremendous impact that um, palm oil plantations have had on on tigers and orangutans in in, um, in, in Indonesia. Yes, um, and you know in this case the. So- social responsibility of those in South Africa who want to trade in lion bones has to be to ensure that their activities um, don't have a wider consequence that will affect the the conservation of the wild lion populations. And I I don't think they're really taking that into consideration when they say there should be a free trade in in lion bones. 
Exactly, and obviously no thought at all to what how that might affect the other lion range states. No, and and um, you know I I think that that um, that South Africa really needs to be brought to task for allowing um, the the initial trade in in uh, the rhino horns, which stimulated the the demand, resulting in the tremendous amount of poaching that's going on. Um, and and it's you know if if it was um, it, I, I think it can be very clearly associated with the with the rise in poaching. So, mm-hmm. you know, if they if South Africa said, okay, we're we're going to allow this, then they also have to do something about the um, the consequences. And I, you know, I really don't want to see this happening with with lions because, um, as I mentioned, you know, in in the previous program, um, there are more, and and you know, people would be surprised by this. There are more white rhinos in South Africa than there are lions across the entire African continent. Um, you know, we're dealing with the species in freefall decline, and, yes. and um, so why do you why do you then try and promote a trade in, in lion bones that will inevitably um, lead to an increase in, in poaching in states other than South Africa? South Africa needs to take a continental responsibility, not just you know to to satisfy their um, their, their private breeders or whatever they're called. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so regarding the uh, lion bone trade and, and regulating that and, and the other lion range states, last month was the landmark Lion Aid Conference on the conservation needs and status of African lions. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I, I mean, we we were um, we were very privileged to to receive funding from the uh, the UK government through the um, uh, Department of Environment, Food and, and um, Rural Affairs, Rural Affairs mm-hmm. to um, to be able to organize this conference. Now, uh, um, we weren't able to invite all the African lion range states to this conference. Um, so what we did is we decided to to go from from um, west to east and from east to south, and, and so we had attendance from countries like uh, Senegal all the way in the in the west, and then going over to Nigeria and Cameroon, and then in terms of the uh, the sort of southern African range states, we had uh, um, Malawi and Mozambique, and then um, we also had Ethiopia. And uh, Kenya attending. Um, like I said, we we um, we wanted to invite all of them, but um, finances didn't permit us to do that. But anyway, um, the the conference went really really well, and I think um, one of the the um, the best things that came out of this conference was the tremendous sense among all the um, the delegates from those African countries who attended to see like not only in terms of their own particular nations, but to see this as a national priority and an international priority. And an international priority meaning that the um, attending range states will now do their best to convince the other line range states that didn't attend to come along um, with the the various um, action plans that were decided in in the conference. So what... uh, um, what came out of that conference again was that um, 
everybody realized that the the situation um, of of lions on the continent is, um, in one word, dire. Mm-hmm. And they all they all recognize um, the importance of lions, not only in terms of um, the sort of tourist economy or, or anything like that, but also in terms of their cultural importance to, to the various African lion range states. And, um, you know, it, the lions feature on the, um, the Kenya coat of arms. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're very important. They're on the, um, the, the various coats of arms of, of um, other attending range states. Um, yeah, yeah. Lions are extremely important to all these countries. Yes. And they want to, they really now, um, unfortunately, because you know their, their backs are sort of a, against the wall, but they really want to make the best decisions that they possibly can to ensure that the lions are conserved not only within their own countries, but to help each other to make sure that lions are conserved all over the continent. That's fantastic. That sounds like an excellent conference. Congratulations on that. <laughs> and, it was, and it was particularly important because um, we have, have neighboring countries there and, and lions are not have no respect for country borders. They will just <laughs> wander across. And if one country has got a, a, um, a sound conservation policy in place and the neighboring country does not have such a sound conservation policy in place, the lion goes across the border and it all becomes, it all starts to go wrong. So mm-hmm. they also recognize that they need to set up um, con- contracts between neighboring countries. And so having these countries there and they were able to sit and talk to each other informally about how they would set this up was also a huge benefit to them, as well as Peter was saying, that they were able to learn from each other because one country country would have found from experience that they could deal with problem A and another country could deal with problem B and so they would share their experiences and discuss this and it was there was a lot of synergy at this conference huge amount of energy and a huge amount of synergy and it was a privilege to be there with them oh that sounds excellent had uh, a lot of the delegates had they met before or was everybody meeting for the first time or was there a little of both well Risha, this this was one of the, um, the the sort of surprises because um, you know in 2006 the IUCN organized conferences in um, uh, Western Africa in, mm-hmm. in Cameroon and then also in Southern Africa um, in Johannesburg for all these these various um, range states to come together and to sit down and to come up with what they called their national lion action plans. Now um, one of the things that we said at this conference is that what this conference was going to do was not going to be an end point. In other words, mm-hmm. attendance at this conference and sitting down for this two-day meeting um, was just the beginning. And so we didn't want to go the way that the the, uh, the previous conferences had done, where lots of decisions were made and lots of um, resolutions were, were arrived at, and then everybody went home and filed it away in, in some filing cabinet or put it on a shelf, mm. and then forgot about it. Right. Um, and so, you know, what we what we said right at the beginning is that this is a starting point. All of you guys sitting down here and, and meeting with each other, and like you say, you know, often meeting each other for the first time um, was incredibly important. And we want to keep 
that um, dialogue going between the neighboring countries and uh, to have the, the, um, the, the countries that attended to have them invite participation from their neighbors in case they weren't at the conference. Mm -hmm. And so therefore to put together um, a really, really comprehensive uh, and, and inclusive um, lion conservation plan for all of Africa. Now, as, as we know from, from the last time we talked, um, there are a lot of countries that we couldn't invite because the lions are already extinct in that mm. country. You know, we would have liked to, for example, we would have liked to have invited Ghana, mm -hmm. but they have no lions anymore. We would have liked to have invited the Ivory Coast, but there's no lions there. We would have liked to have invited um, the um, Republic of the Congo, but there's no lions there. Mm. So the more we wait, um, mm -hmm. the fewer countries will actually be participating in any kind of lion conservation program because they have lost them. And, you know, we're, we're talking about losses that have occurred over the past five years. Um, we're not talking historical losses. We're talk talking immediate losses where all the lions in that particular country have gone. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, for example, you know, a very large state, uh, the size of, of, for example, Nigeria, um, might these days have something like 30 to 32 lions left. Oh my God! And you know when you're when you're talking about um, those kinds of numbers, thirty lions left in your entire country. Uh -huh. um, from if if you take a really um, hardcore biological view, you would say the situation there is hopeless. There's absolutely no way that anything can be done to save thirty animals. Um, you know, because 30 animals is like what we have in a zoo and, you know, we're there, there, it's, it's not going to go any further. Um, but we would, we would still like to work with these, these countries and, um, see whether we can, we can protect the lions better in those countries mm -hmm. and see whether those populations can be built up again. And maybe they can be built up again by interventive programs where we introduce, um, some lions into Nigeria from, um, let's say next door Cameroon that still does have some lions and sort of build up the, 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 um, the, the lions in a, in a progressive way. Mm -hmm. um, the same thing um, happened, for example, in, in Florida with the, um, uh, with the Pumas, with the, um, um, the situation in, with the Florida Pumas was so bad that um, extra animals had to be brought in from Texas to resurrect those populations. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that's a situation that we have to adopt also in Nigeria. The thing that was very important there, that, that there was a huge cooperation um, between the, the, the countries and, and, and they were very much wanting to work together and with us to bring about what we're all looking for, which is to stabilise lion populations. And, and that's very important because it's, it's sometimes quite different from the impression that maybe we all have of how it is in the African Lion Range states. And, you know, I can tell you now from being at that conference that there was a very much a very positive uh, um, atmosphere there, that the countries that attended very, very much want to keep their lions and do what they, they need to do to, to bring their lion and conservation plans um, to such a state that the lions will be further protected. And Risha, the, you know, the... the 
one of the outcomes of this conference, which we were actually very surprised by, because, you know, we, we said right at the beginning of the conference that um, we as LionAid um, were there to facilitate um, the conference and the discussion and to facilitate their, their um, conservation plans, and that it was up, up to the delegates to decide on the ways to do this. Mm -hmm. um, in other words, you know, we weren't taking a, um, uh, any kind of a, a leadership role or we weren't <laughs> taking any kind of a uh, position of informing them what had to be done. Um, you know, we left it up to them. And, and they came through in spades. And one of the things that, that these, these countries have now charged us with, and this is a huge responsibility, is that the, the, um, um, the range states have now um, asked LionAid... Um, to be in charge of all the national lion conservation programs in Africa. Um, and in other words, that we have to help these various African lion range states to design their national um, um, lion conservation plans. Some countries already have, but others have not. Mm -hmm. And um, what we would like to do is, is with this consortium that we now have of the, um, the various lion and range states, that everybody helps each other to uh, coordinate the formulation of their, their conservation plans. And Risha, this is, this is really big, okay, because what this means is that uh, um, we as LionAid are now charged with probably one of the most important aspects of all lion conservation on the continent. We were absolutely delighted and also a little bit um, taken aback that we were given that huge responsibility. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we'll, we, we will rise to the occasion, definitely. And we're already working on it. That's fantastic. And congratulations. I, I just think this is a wonderful thing that you guys have uh, implemented. This is all fantastic news. Well, it, um, um, I, I think, Risha, you know, what... What we um, um, we took away from that meeting was, um, you know, again to to um, echo what what Chris was saying was that everything was positive, everything was was leading towards a way a forward to mm -hmm. make sure that lions are going to be conserved in a much better way um, on the African continent. Because you know, after all, what what has happened is that uh, we have lost something like ninety percent of the lions over mm -hmm. the past fifty years. Mm. You know, we're, we're down to 20 to 25,000 lions in Africa from 200,000 maybe in, in uh, the 1960s. Oh. And this has, stopped. this has to be stopped because, yes. you know, we cannot allow lions to go the way of the tiger where all of a sudden everybody is in a, in a huge panic and, um, you know, huge amounts of money. I mean, what, what is it that is being thrown at tigers these days? Something like, you know, three hundred, four hundred thousand $400,000 to... to um, uh, Hmm. Sorry, three hundred million um, to to yeah. conserve tigers over over the next years. I mean, hmm. that is is conservation complacency. You know, hmm. it it it's complacency to the extent that you allow a species to get into such a position that now all of a sudden it's it's very 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 expensive to to um, maintain them. Hmm. And we don't want that to happen with lions. What we want to do is, is to um, now that you know we we know um, how few lions are still left 
to make very, very positive moves right now mm-hmm. to ensure that what is going to happen in the future is all going to be positive and not to sit back and wait and say, well, you know, there's still 20,000 lands, you know, uh, that's fine. No, we can't, we can't take that attitude anymore. But um, Risha, if, if I could... If I can also um, read you some of these um, um, points that were made by the the range states, um, I'll just give you a few of them. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, um, the 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 range states um, were also going to propose to the IUCN, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. You know mm-hmm. that has the red list things like that. Yes. Range um, states were going to propose to the IUCN to review the list. Of, of the African lion with a view to upgrading the species to endangered status. This still hasn't happened. The IUCN is very far behind in terms of doing this, and especially the IUCN is very far behind in terms of listing the West African lions, of which there might be something like 500 700 left, mm-hmm. and the Western African lions are very genetically distinctive from all the other African lions. And, you know, the IUCN really needs to get on this pronto. I mean, they need to make up their mind and say the Western African lions are um, critically endangered and the rest of the the lions in Africa are endangered. Right now, they're, they're just being classified as vulnerable and, you know, this comes back to the whole thing with the tigers. There's a complacency there. You know, we can't afford that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, the lion range states, and, you know, this, this was some... Thing that was that was quite interesting that came out of the conference. Um, the Lion Range states also would, are, are going to request from UNESCO, the United Nations Education and, and Scientific Organization, to consider the lion as a world heritage species. Now, um, this is because lions all over the world have a tremendously important cultural uh, um, um, significance. You know, you can't go to China or Japan without seeing lion statues you can't be here in the UK without seeing lion statues you you know in the United States there's lion statues in front of the New York Public Library in Chicago you know wherever you go yes. you see lion images and statues lion paintings you know it, it's it's an incredibly important animal culturally it's it's culturally important in Africa as well as all over the world and um, UNESCO does does have the ability to consider lions as a world heritage species because the great apes, the um, for example, the gorilla, chimpanzee, the orangutan, are already listed with UNESCO as world heritage species. Oh. Now, what it does is that um, it gives those species um, an added sort of um, public recognition mm-hmm. because all of a sudden they're saying, well, yes, you know, we all realize that lions are really important. But, you know, here it is in black and white. Lions are now a world heritage species. And we really want to pursue this with um, UNESCO. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will take time, but um, we're already starting um, um, the process. And, and we hope that um, we'll, we'll be able to um, travel to Paris quite soon to the um, UNESCO headquarters and present our case. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, what needs to happen to get the... Uh lions uh, recognized as a world heritage heritage species? What are the steps that well, need to happen? Well, um, UNESCO has a, has a, has a committee, mm-hmm. and um, what you need to do is you need to present your case to the committee. 
And um, I don't think this will be difficult because the committee is probably composed of a lot of states that, um, you know, if they just look at their own flags or if they look at their own national emblems and things like that, they will realize immediately that the, the, the importance of lines is, is very, very significant. And, and um, it will need to be voted on, but I think it will sail through because, you know, it's not confrontational. It's, it's, it's not a, a big deal. Mm-hmm. And it's a recognition of, of lions in terms of their, their huge importance to, to um, human culture. Now, we might be um, accused in that sense of saying, well, you know, lions are only important because humans think they're important. But that's not really true. Um, I think giving them that, that world heritage um, status is, um, is going to do a tremendous Tremendous amount for the conservation of the lines. Uh, yeah, I think that's excellent. I think that's excellent. And you said that the uh, you talked about that at the conference with the delegates. Yeah, and they they all accepted it. They were all behind it, and you know they they want to know immediately how to proceed with that. And um, like I said, that's that's um, together with the the. Um, review um, being proposed to the IUCN to to put lions in. As on their red list as endangered, I think um, the UNESCO um, proposal was was accepted immediately. Immediately, and um, everybody was was very very much behind this. Now, um, going on a little bit, but, um, I think that the, um, the the lion range states also said that um, those range states. Um, that practice consumptive utilization of lions, for example, trophy hunting, mm-hmm. um, were going to be called on to ensure their adherence to best practices of sustainability and transparency mm-hmm. and shall rightly monitor utilized populations. Mm-hmm. In other words, what the, the range states um, called for, and um, there, were, there were two range states there, Cameroon and uh, Mozambique, who actually um, are engaged in consumptive utilization of lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, yes, um, we recognize that one of the really important things in order to be able to say that any kind of utilization of this rapidly disappearing species, any kind of utilization has to be seen as sustainable. Right. And we will facilitate that. We will mm-hmm. facilitate, um, for example, um, independent, Independent um, organizations to go into the hunting areas, to go into the the hunting concessions, mm-hmm. and have a very close look at the the lion populations there compared to lion populations that aren't utilized. So, in other words, you know, what is the male to female ratio? What is the um, um, what is the reproduction like in these populations? You know, all the various things that we suspect are going wrong with with overutilization. Mm-hmm. Um, the range states are now saying, yes, um, come in. Have a look, check it out, and if you tell us that um, things are going wrong, then we will amend um, our hunting practices, which is absolutely fantastic. Oh, absolutely, and it completely makes sense. I mean, it's better for everybody. It's better for the people that are um, utilizing their populations in that way, and, of course, most importantly, it's, it's best for lions. Well, yeah, you're right, Risha, because, you know, one of the things that um, that we always hear from from the uh, the people who are 
utilizing the lines is that um, they're doing it in a in a sustainable fashion. Mm -hmm. But this has never been proved. Mm -hmm. So you know, let's make sure that um, it is sustainable. Mm -hmm. And uh, because the, the the range states themselves, who are practicing you know this consumptive utilization of their wildlife, mm -hmm. um, are all for um, mm -hmm. sustainable utilization. They don't want they don't want to to um, get rid of that um, that resource because mm -hmm. and they don't want to be accused of, of unsustainable practices. Um, they're very very um, open and straightforward about it. We mm -hmm. want if we utilize lions in a in a commercial way, trophy hunting for example, mm -hmm. we want to do it in such a way that everybody is convinced that it is sustainable and it is not damaging to the lion population in general. And it has to be sustainable and it can't be contributing to the decline of the population. That's right. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's, um, that's one of the, um, <clears throat> the main um, sort of demand of um, CITES, um, the, the Convention in International Trade of uh, mm -hmm. Endangered Species. Um, CITES demands that any kind of, of uh, trade in, in, uh, in a species, in mm -hmm. an animal or a plant or whatever, um, is going to be sustainable and is not going to affect the conservation status of that species negatively. Right. And, um, you know, the, the, the range states were all for this. They said, yes, 100% we're behind this. That's excellent. And speaking of CITES, we talked before about uh, uplisting African lions to Appendix 1. Um, tell us what needs to happen to make that a reality. Well, the, 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 the next um, conference of parties is going to be um, about a year year from now and in uh, March no, 2013. March 2013. March, yeah. Um, and um, it's going to be in Thailand mm -hmm. and um, a lot of the, um, the the signatories to societies are going to set and their delegates there and any kind of um, uplisting proposal um, to um, societies is going to have to be considered by the, the, the various parties who attend. Mm -hmm. Now, um, a lot of these, a lot of these uh, countries are not obviously going to be line range states, um, right. of which perhaps only something like realistically maybe what 15, 16 line range states in, in the world these days. Hmm. But um, um, what it needs um, to be able to um, pass up to Appendix One is a two-thirds majority of votes of the attending. Um, um, parties to the conference. Mm -hmm. So, um, what has to happen is that a particular range state um, or a consortium of range states needs to propose this um, to the, the conference of parties, and then it will be subjected to a vote. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, it, it, it may or may not go up to Appendix One. Mm -hmm. Because Unfortunately, um, CITES has been very widely criticized um, for being overly politicized and mm -hmm. um, taking political stances rather than scientific stances mm -hmm. in terms of trade in, in, in species. Because you have to realize, you know, the trade in, in plants and animals yearly is worth billions and billions and billions of dollars. Right. I mean, it's unbelievable how much that trade is worth. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, 
Um, if you're talk talking about something like a line, which does have a, a commercial value to various countries, both consumptive and non-consumptive, um, there will be, um, there, there can be predicted a certain level of resistance to putting it onto Appendix 1. Now, I, I don't see um, why um, the, the states or the, the organizations or whoever um, would, would list Appendix 1 for, for the, um, the lines should be threatened by that mm -hmm. um, because it is all, all for the good of the conservation of the species. Mm -hmm. uh, and as I was saying, you know, in, in uh, about five minutes ago, the, the range states already agreed one of the most important aspects of the um, the uplisting. In other words, they already said that if we are going to practice consumptive utilization, then it has to be monitored and it has to be straightforward and it has to be um, um, not um, opposed to the, the conservation status of the species. Mm -hmm. That's basically all that CITES is, is saying. The, the resistance um, to put species on uh, CITES appendix one um, is perhaps influenced by um, you know the, the the constant arguments over whether or not elephants should be on appendix one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and as you know, um, some countries um, have been able to achieve a what what they call in in CITES terms a split listing, mm -hmm. where some countries have um, elephants on appendix two and some countries have um, Elephants on Appendix 1. Um, CITES doesn't really like this because it's very difficult to enforce because you don't really know unless you do, um, the tests are available, but you know, it's very difficult to do them to be able to determine where um, the, the, the tusks come from. There are countries, and I won't name them, um, who have recently applied to CITES to downlist their elephants to um, Appendix 2. Mm -hmm. And the um, genetic tests uh, uh, from the confiscated ivory that has been coming out of Singapore, mm -hmm. um, Hong Kong, and various other places have clearly shown that the ivory is coming from those countries. The poached ivory is coming from those countries that are now saying, and we want to put our elephants on Appendix 2. In other words, we're taking good care of our elephants, <laughs> and we want to be able to trade ivory. Right? Oh, my gosh. So... <laughs> And I think also, and I think also one of the reasons why um, you know some some people might might not want to to, to um, place species on on CITES Appendix One is because it takes a little bit of the control away from them mm -hmm. and puts it in the hands of a or the oversight of the trade puts it in, into the hands of, of um, a consortium of nations you know the the whole. CITES uh, group, for example. Yes. Uh, so they said, hey, look, you know, these are our resources and you can't tell us what to do. Mm -hmm. um, and there is some truth to that, but also, you know, apparently what, what CITES, at the end of the day, what CITES is trying to do is, is to say, look, trade in appendix one species is fine. It's allowed. Um, but 
you will have to make sure that um, such trade is, is transparent, that it's not contrary to the, the conservation needs of the, the species, that the trade is monitored or the offtake is monitored by professional biologists, etc., etc. So um, CITES is trying to make sure that, that um, the species that are being traded are also being conserved. And I don't think, I think that's a bad thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing wrong with uh, with more closely monitoring trade. No, because especially because all these these countries are saying um, we are we you know our our consumptive utilization of these species is um, um, sustainable. Mm -hmm. You know that that word sustainable always appears in every kind of communication that you have with these countries. So. If it is sustainable, great. Then, but now, um, if it's on Appendix One, mm -hmm. you have to do a little more in terms of proving that it's sustainable. Right, right. Yeah, it's just taking a much closer look at at what's going on, and if there is something going on that shouldn't be going on, uh, it will be revealed, and it can be more closely examined. Absolutely, but you know, I, I, and again, Risha, you. You know what what has happened with a lot of these countries is mm -hmm. that they're every single country in Africa will say that we value our wildlife as a national mm -hmm. heritage and we want our children to be able to see wildlife in our countries. Mm -hmm. They're 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 all signed up to that. Absolutely. And so you know, um, all right. If if you're all convinced that um, wildlife is is really important, then um, do what you can by whatever means um, to protect the the wildlife that you still have remaining and you know we all know that, that um, wildlife is declining very rapidly in a lot yes. of yes um, unfortunately um, in, in a lot of cases you know this this has come up about because of um, for example in Mozambique and in Angola um, years and years and years of civil conflict um, and and in other countries um, for example, in, in um, um, some of the Western African countries, because the, there, there is a, a system of national parks, but they don't earn any income because nobody, as a wildlife tourist, um, for example, goes to Senegal to see animals because they don't associate that country mm -hmm. with um, a wildlife experience. Mm -hmm. um, so the parks are there, but you know, there's no income um, from, from tourism to those parks, so they can't be maintained. Mm -hmm. by the nations themselves are very poor. Hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, that, that sort of formula has to be changed. And I think that, that one of the things that was, for me, a real eye-opener was that, um, you know, the, the, the Ethiopian delegates um, were showing pictures of some of their wildlife areas, and they were absolutely astounding. I mean, you know, the, the, the way that, that I used to conceive of Ethiopia was, you know, a desert country. Mm -hmm. It's not at all. It's not at all. It's a it, it's a country that has you know a tremendous diversity of, of habitats. It has a huge diversity of endemic species that are only found in in, in Ethiopia. It has a, a magnificent um, series of, of ecosystems, and nobody knows about it. It's actually an undiscovered gem. It is. It's you know Ethiopia was was showing us pictures of uh, wetland habit habitats that are probably um, 
if not a rival to, certainly better than the Okavango Delta. Oh, that sounds beautiful. It's absolutely astounding, but nobody knows. Hmm. And so the, the problem is, you know, that, that if, you, <clears throat> if you go to your travel agent or, or if you sit down, you know, and you're, you're um, on, on your computer and you're planning your, mm-hmm. your wildlife safari or vacation or something like that, the last place that you would put in is Ethiopia because you just do not associate that country with um, a, a huge amount of wildlife. And hmm. it's all there. Hmm. It's an amazing place. Oh, that sounds wonderful. That's, I mean, there are probably a lot of really nice surprises like that from the conference, right? Yeah, there are. And, and um, you know, what, what, what has tended to happen is that, you know, everybody who wants to see wildlife always thinks, okay, well, we'll go to Tanzania or we'll go to Kenya or we'll mm-hmm. go to Botswana or we'll go to South Africa. Mm-hmm. But there's so many places where you can go um, where the, the, the wildlife is absolutely astounding, where your, um, your tourism dollar um, will make a huge difference to the maintenance of those, those ecosystems, and where um, you're actually doing something unique in terms of being able to, to go someplace where you can see wildlife without... Uh, I'm having a lot of people around you, you know, and that's what everybody's looking for. They're looking for a unique experience without lots of people, and it's there. Um, you just need to be a little bit more aware of where all these these various places are in Africa that you can go and you can see fantastic wildlife. And it doesn't always have to be, you know, like I said, you know, the the, um, the usual suspects. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds wonderful. And and so, is there a next conference? On the table, then, is there what's the next steps? Well, Risha, what what we decided is, um, and and you know, by by we, I'm I'm using the, the we in terms of the, um, the all the delegates right. there and all yeah, that kind right. of stuff. Mm-hmm. Is that um, we decided we decided to do two things. We decided to have have um, at least a yearly conference with all the range states attending. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And in, in the meantime, um, we we decided decided to be able to organize um, what we call mini-conferences, mm-hmm. where we, we look at um, a, a number of countries that, that are neighboring each other and that have um, particularly important uh, needs in terms of lands. And one of the things that um, we might be able to organize in, in the near future, um, hopefully, is um, uh, to invite the, the delegates from Malawi and Mozambique that were already at, at the, the Lion Aid Conference in, in Johannesburg, mm-hmm. um, together with um, um, representatives from Zimbabwe and Zambia that were not at the conference, mm-hmm. um, and hopefully we can organize this this little mini-conference in, in July. Um, and there's two reasons for that. Um, the first one is to bring um, Zambia and Zimbabwe into the, um, the overall um, consortium. Mm-hmm. Of, of African lion states that, that are looking at um, conserving the species. Um, and the second one is to um, sort of broaden the, the impact of the conference that we had to include more and more and more range states. You know, like I said, we, we, we couldn't afford um, to invite everybody, but um, what we can do is to 
ask the, the range states that did attend to contact their neighbors and to say, let's have a little meeting among ourselves and, and we'll facilitate that. Oh, fantastic. Wow. That, those are really positive steps. So, you know, we're, we're, we're bringing more and more people on board and more and more countries on board because I think, you know, what, what we were saying right at the beginning is mm -hmm. that everybody um, that, that was at that conference had one aim. Um, and that was to ensure that from now on, um, what all those countries are going to do is to institute programs to, to much better address the concerns and the conservation of land. Absolutely. Wow. And all, and all the countries that came, they all um, presented a, a 15 or 20 minute PowerPoint presentation of the, the lion conservation status in their own country. And that, that was obviously of enormous value to us, but it was also of enormous value to the other delegates. And many of them mentioned this at the end, that, that their eyes had been opened, that they weren't the only ones having problems and issues and struggling with solutions to the problems that they had um, for their lion conservation. Suddenly they were able to understand a lot more about their neighbours. And once you understand that somebody else has got a similar problem to you, then then you start to work together. And... Um, Lion Aid has been asked to work with them and we're doing that now, we're doing that every day. Um, we're in constant touch with these um, seven nations, um, organising with them the next step. So these conferences are going to help that, but day by day we are, we are now working with them to bring forward their national lion conservation plans and one will help another in terms of the experiences they have and, and adding to the overall contribution of all these line range states because 12 months from now we need to make sure that these line range states have got these these plans in place so we have a definite time goal to meet so that 12 months from now we're actually now talking about the implementation not the development of the plans and if we can achieve that that will be a very positive step forward for lion conservation. Oh, that's terrific. And congratulations again on the conference. Yeah, Risha, you know, and, and like I said, you know, we, we saw this conference as, um, you know, when you when you throw a pebble into the pond and you get all these ripples. Yeah. Um, that, that was the conference, right? Um, <clears throat> the pebble has now been thrown into the pond. The ripple effect is happening. And um, we want this to spread across the entire pond, and the entire pond being, you know, all the African rain states that, um, that still maintain lions. Now, if anybody wants to read the full action plans that came out of that conference, they are already up on our website as a news item um, so that people can read what's going to be done. We very much encourage people to get in touch with us they can get in touch with us on info at lionaid.org whenever they want if they want to have any specific questions answered on on where we're up to and, and how, how it's moving forward we will keep posting regular updates on the website mm -hmm. as, to, as to how the development of these plans is going forward um, and we very much need people to to think about donating now to help this effort because we mm -hmm. have, have to um, help all these lion range states bring these plans to fruition um, it's not going to be the, the, the cheapest thing that's going to be done, but mm -hmm. I think um, if corporations and people 
um, want to help in whatever way they can with their own little fundraising efforts or just pure donations, um, that's what we need now because the more people we can get behind supporting the work that we're doing, the quicker we're going to get all this done. Oh, fantastic. Lisha, I think, you know, for us it was um, it was also um, a real real joy to be able to, to you know to, to organize and be at this conference. It was. It, it, um, it was um, for us it was a not only um, an affirmation that um, you know you can achieve a lot of things if you work really hard towards mm -hmm. it, you know, which we've been doing to organize this conference and prepare for this conference and get ourselves known as, as Lion Aid over the past uh, year or so. But it's it's also an affirmation that once you have um, a good group of people together, you can achieve lots. And, and I think that um, you know the, the the various people who are concerned with the uh, conservation of other species, they should also um, perhaps come together and take a um, a new look at uh, the the ways that that things can go forward. Um, because I think. Um, the reason why um, you know not very much happened in terms of lion conservation, and the reason why lions are in such dire straits these days, uh, um, is because um, in the past people just couldn't see the way forward. They couldn't see the new ideas. They couldn't see the the um, the, 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 the fantastic potential that was there um, in terms of getting people just to sit down and talk to each other. I mean, it sounds it sounds very simple, but um, organizing that and getting people to sit down um, is sometimes a little bit more difficult than you think. But once <laughs> it happens, um, it, it's, 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 it's so fantastic. Well, that's wonderful to hear. And thank you guys so much for talking to us again about this very important topic. And con congratulations again on your co successful conference. Well, well, thank you, Richard. Thank you and so as, much. as you can tell, we're a little bit enthusiastic about mine. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. We will maintain our enthusiasm in the future. Excellent. Well, I hope you guys will come back again and talk with us. Always a pleasure. We would be delighted. And as I say, anybody who wants to have any specific information, feel free to email us on info at lionaid.org. We'd be more than delighted to tell you all, all that we're doing and, and how we're doing it because um, uh, it's a wonderful thing and it's a wonderful thing to, to, to have the trust and support of these wonderful people um, out in Africa who, who really do want to conserve their lines. Perfect. Sounds like a great plan. You've been listening to Taking Action for African Lions with Dr. Peter Kett and Chris McSween from LionAid. This is Risha Kota-Larsen with Behind the Schemes.